0: The High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. I'm excited to be in God's house this morning, excited to bring the Word of God this morning. Um, my name is Evans Astar. I am the student pastor here. If uh, I haven't gotten the opportunity to meet you yet, I would love to meet you. Before I get going, um, I do need to share. Some news, I hate that I have to be this guy, but there is a white Dodge Caravan with the alarm going off in the parking lot. If that's you, I would hate for your car battery to die, and you get stuck here longer than you want to be here. So if that applies to you, uh, please go ahead and take care of that. However, you need to take care of that. But church, doesn't it feel good to be in God's house this morning? Amen. Well, I'm excited to bring God's holy word. Really, really excited about it. Hey, a few weeks ago, um, me and my wife were chilling at home. We were just relaxing. It was a Friday and, and the office is closed on Friday, so I'm relaxing. And I went outside to feed my dog, Theo. And so while I'm out there, you know, I'm feeding him everything. Well, he gets pumped up just because I'm out there, and it's time to play. So he gets his little toy, and we're ready to play tug-of-war. So me and Thea are out there playing tug-of-war, having a good time, when I felt something brush up against my leg. And as soon as I felt that thing brush up against my leg, I had a total freak-out meltdown. So I'm only in flip-flops. We have, like, a concrete patio, and I took my foot and just boom, right into the ground. Now, let me give you some context, okay? Earlier that morning, I had to take out a wasp nest. We had one of those wasp nests hanging up at our house, and so I got the spray a few weeks before that that's supposed to spray it down, then they'll never want to come back again. Did not work. They went on a vacation and then came back home, and that was not okay, So I just basically got a broom and just boom, just yeeted that thing across the yard. But I knew I made them mad. Like I knew the wasps are after me. Like they have my name and it is game on. So I'm out there playing with Theo, my dog. I feel something brush up against my leg. And I think this is a wasp. They're after me. They have found me. They sent the assassin. It's game on. What's about to happen here? And I completely freak out. Turns out, just a piece of grass. Anyways, slam my toe into the ground and it hurts. And as I looked down, I, looked, I realized I hurt myself, blood and everything. So I'm hobbling inside and doing everything. And so finally we get it cleaned up and I still have all of my toe there, but it's kind of messed up. So my wife Elizabeth comes over, she's like, all right, we need to pour hydrogen peroxide on it so that you don't get an infection. And it was at that moment, that we both found out that I'm a four-year-old. For the next 20 minutes, as a grown man, I argued with my wife and said, nope, uh uh-uh, nope, nope, not, uh uh-uh, can't do it, can't do it. And then at that point, you just start talking nonsense. You're like, I don't care. I don't care. I'll die. I don't care. I'll get an infection, lose my toe, lose my foot. I already have another one. I don't need two feet. Like, you know, like you're just talking just crazy stuff. I don't need this. What's what's going on here? And I'm just going back and forth. And my wife's like, "Dude, just like man up. Like get get it over with." And I'm like, "I'm gonna pass out. I don't want to pass." So if like 20 minutes after me just whining, complaining, I'm out. Gosh, I'm out on the front porch with my foot hanging off, holding on to the rails. Like I'm. It's over. Like, I'm about to be unconscious. And so finally, she pours the hydrogen peroxide on there and nothing. I didn't realize that rubbing alcohol was the one that burned and hydrogen peroxide feels like nothing. But I didn't know that, so I went in a whole thing for 20 whole minutes as a grown man not wanting to pour hydrogen peroxide on my really dumb injury. But it's just funny, man, when we get into situations like that, it's so easy to have a disconnect between head and between heart. Like up here, I knew I like my feet. I like not having an infection. I just need to do this and get, get it over with. But in here, I was like, no way, whatever, I'll lose my foot. Like there's this strong disconnect between head, between what I know, and between heart and what I feel. That my heart was lying to me about what I really needed to do and about what the truth is, even though I really knew it mentally up here. And I think that it's interesting when we compare this to our spiritual life, we all succumb to this at some point. That up here, we know some things to be true, but down here, our heart begins to lie to us. And specifically in one area, when it comes to the assurance of our salvation, am I confident That I really am a Christian and I still am a Christian. Oftentimes, despite what goes on up here, this begins to lie to us and we begin to doubt our salvation based on what we feel and not what we know. And so maybe that applies to you today. Maybe you've walked into this room doubting whether or not you're really saved and whether God really loves you. And maybe it's simply based on your feelings. You didn't feel worship this morning. You didn't feel the goosebumps. You didn't feel like raising your hand. You didn't feel like you learned a lot from the Bible this week. You didn't feel like God was with you at your job this week. You didn't feel like doing prayer time. And the more that you didn't feel and didn't feel and didn't feel, you think, maybe I'm just not a Christian at all. And the problem is is that when we let our feelings begin to damage the truth, and begin to damage our relationship with God, it does real harm. Because the moment that you let the devil in your heart lie to you, that you're not really a Christian because of your feelings, you begin running from God. Especially when it comes to prayer. I don't want to talk to God. He doesn't love me. I don't want to talk to God. Who am I? I can't go to him in prayer. I can't go to him and ask for strength. I'm guilty. I ran from him. I don't feel like it. He's probably mad at me. And it begins to damage and sever our relationship with God all because of a lie. My question to you today is this. Does God want us to live our Christian life every day doubting whether or not we're really saved? Or does God want to give us confidence every single day that we are his? And he is mine every day. I guarantee he wants you to walk in confidence, knowing that you are a child of God. And if you would reject your heart and listen to his truth today, you can have confidence that you're saved despite what your lying heart tells you. And so that's why today we're looking at 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. Here's what's going on in the book of 1 John. This is written by the Apostle John, who wrote Revelation, who wrote the Gospel of John. And he's writing this letter to a series of churches in Asia Minor. And the reason that he's writing is because a particular heresy has creeped into the church called Gnosticism. And here's what it means. Gnosticism taught that anything that was material, that was flesh, that was earthly, was inherently evil and bad. But anything spiritually was inherently good. And that the goal of humanity was for your spirit to leave your body and leave this world and go to this all spiritual place. And here's how they believe that you were saved. That you got this secret knowledge, this secret passcode, this secret key that only a certain elect tiny group of people would ever have the knowledge to get and leave their bodies. Like, it's kind of wacko, wild stuff. Like, it is just absolutely out there. And so because of that, they thought, you know, flesh is bad, spirit is good. Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. He only appeared to come in the flesh. They thought only people with this secret knowledge, with this special knowledge got saved. So everybody else, I don't have to love them. They're losers. They're little peons. They're nothing. I don't don't have to care about them. They thought, well, if the flesh is bad, I can live my life in sin. Who cares what I do to my body? It's evil anyways. And they began to invade the church with this false philosophy, this false teaching. And because of it, people began to doubt. So church, if you will, would everybody stand today in honor of God's word? I'm going to read just a few verses. 1 John 3, verse 19 to 24 says this. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. Though we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he has gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Thank you so much for reverencing God's word. You can be seated. So John's writing to this church because all of this crazy heresy has creeped into the church. And because of it, people are beginning to doubt. They're beginning to question, do I really have God's truth? Am I really saved? Am I really a Christian? Do I really have the real thing? That's why John writes and he says, if your heart condemns you. That John is pointing out this reality in the church that there are times Christians, when your heart will condemn you, there are times when you will feel guilty, when you will feel not saved, when you feel like you've abandoned God. There are going to be times where you're questioning and you're wondering. But then he follows up with saying this, but God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. That what he's basically saying is interpretation. There are going to be moments that your heart condemns you, but God knows better. Christians, there are going to be moments where you doubt your salvation, but God knows better. There are going to be hearts where, there are going to be parts where where the standard for your salvation comes from here. And yet the truth of your salvation comes from here and ultimately up there. And so the people in Asia Minor began to doubt, began to wonder. Their hearts began to condemn them and they were sent into despair. And John is writing saying, look, this is a thing. This is a common thing. This happens in the lives of Christians. I'm not surprised that your heart is lying to you. I'm not surprised that the devil is after you. But I'm writing to assure you. I'm writing to give you confidence. I'm writing so that you will know that you are truly saved and that you are truly a child of God. A few years ago, I read this really, really interesting book called The Righteous Mind. The author's name was Jonathan Haidt, and so he's kind of a psychologist, sociologist type, and the whole premise of the book was he, was he was asking the question, why do people take the certain political and moral beliefs that they do? Now, I'm not saying this to get political. This, this was the point of the book. Why do they do it? Why do certain people vote certain parties or for certain policies or take certain moral stands? And so he does all of this research and goes through this whole thing, and he proposes this thesis. That ultimately, humans have a set disposition and that when confronted with a problem without even knowing it, they think with their heart first and then their brain follows after. That they just are automatically going to go to this thing and then their mind's just going to try and reason it afterwards, right? I'm just going to be set to agree with this policy or do this thing and I'll just figure out how to justify it later. And that's his whole premise, is that we're led by this, and this just follows later. Now, I kind of want to make a concession here. I believe Jonathan Haidt is an atheist. I believe he's a secular Jew. And so I think there are some parts of his premise that we as Christians simply can't accept, that if I'm tugged along by my heart and I can't really reason, well, then, you know, I, have, I can't be held accountable for my sin or my decisions. But I think his research is trying to diagnose A a, a problem that we can all see in our culture today, which is that generally our culture thinks here first, and this follows later. We live in a culture that says, if I feel a certain way, it must be natural. And if it's natural, it must be good and true. Therefore, I will follow suit. That if I feel like I'm attracted to this certain sex, if I feel like I'm a certain gender, If I feel like I just don't love my spouse anymore, if I feel like I don't want to do this, it must be natural, it must be good, it must be right, it must be true, so I'm going to follow suit. And the problem is is that us as Christians, without even knowing it, can buy into this false philosophy where we start thinking with this first and this second. But can I tell you the problem with that? The Bible tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it? The truth is, is that the fall has left no created thing untouched. And just as the world is messed up because sin entered the world, your heart is messed up because sin entered the world too. That you were born in sin. And that as Christians, the Apostle Paul says, now we wage a war between the flesh and the spirit. Which means that the spirit is there if you're a Christian. But the flesh is too. And there are going to be moments where it speaks to you and it lies to you to try and condemn you and tear you down. So Christian, how are you feeling this morning? Did you not feel like worshiping? Did you not feel like raising your hand? Did you not feel like getting up and coming to church this morning? Did you not feel like reading your Bible this week? Do you feel not holy Do you feel not set apart? Can I tell you something? That despite what you feel, it simply may not be true because your heart is a liar and it's going to lie to you all the time. And though you may be in distress and though you may be freaking out, maybe it's just Satan trying to tear you down rather than you experiencing the truth. So here's what I want you to know this morning. Do you feel condemned? Are you stressed out? Are you worried that maybe you abandoned God without even knowing you abandoned God? Have peace in your soul. Have rest in your soul. Metaphorically or physically, take a deep breath. Maybe what you're feeling simply isn't true. But now you have a decision to make. Who am I going to listen to from this moment forward? Am I going to continue to listen to hear? Or am I going to choose to listen to hear? Because the reality is that the heart is deceitful. And not only that, it's limited in scope. It only knows you and through a darkened lens. But you know the truth about God? God is pure. God is light. God is truth and he'll never lie to you. And not only that, he doesn't just know himself. He knows everything. He knows every single fact. He knows everything about you. And so we can choose not to listen to a heart which is darkened by sin, but we can choose to listen to God who always tells the truth and knows everything. It's simply a choice on your end. Who are you going to give your ear to? I encourage you. I beg you. Whether you're doubting your faith right now or Christian, whether sometime in the future you begin to doubt your faith when those thoughts come in, when those feelings come in, pump the brakes, slow down and say, is this my heart or is this God's word? Make the decision to not listen in here. Make the decision to listen here. But you might say, okay, I got it. I get it. I'm ready. My heart's condemning me, but I want to hear what God says about me. I want to know what it really means to be a Christian. I want to give you that. But first, John wants to set up just how important it is to have assurance for your salvation. That before John gives you the kind of step-by-step tips of how you know you're a Christian, he wants to let you know just how important it is to be sure that you are a child of God because something is at stake here. Not just your peace, not just your confidence, but kingdom work but answered prayers, but confidence before God. John wants to show you just how much it matters. And ultimately, he wants you to know that God is working double time for you to have confidence that you are his child, that he has not left you or abandoned you, but he's lovingly calling you home and letting you know who you are in him. This is what he says, beginning in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, We have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. If we have confidence before God, then we go to him in prayer. And if we go to him in prayer and pray according to his will, we know whatever we have prayed, it is done. See, the poor folks in Asia Minor begin to doubt their salvation. Should I become a Gnostic? Should I try and get the secret passkey? In the midst of that doubt, they stopped praying to God. They stopped going in confidence. They wondered, is he really my father? Is he really my savior? Am I really his own? And they cut off their prayers. And yet John is saying, this is a dangerous game. He says, when you're confident before God, you go to God in prayer. And when you go to God in prayer, things get done. But on the flip side, when you begin to doubt your salvation, you begin to run from God. And as you run from God, you don't pray to God. And when you don't pray to God, things stop happening. Prayers stop getting answered because they're simply not going up. That something is at stake if we continue to allow this and allow our hearts to plague us on the inside. That God wants his children praying so that kingdom work gets done. A few years ago, when I was in high school, um, my friend, his dad owned a restaurant, and it was a pretty nice restaurant, and so he wanted us to come eat at it and, like, hang out with him and experience it and everything, and so the restaurant had just opened up, so me, my other friend, and then the friend whose dad owned the restaurant, we all went to eat there, and it was summer, it was warm outside, so we're sitting outside, and we're hanging out. Maybe we'd got, you know, our water, you know, already, but it was time to actually order our meal. So the waitress comes up, and she's taking her order. I tell her what I want. My friend tells her what he wants. And then finally, the owner's son tells her uh, what he wants. And just as she was about to turn around and walk away, my friend does the coolest thing I've ever seen a 17-year-old do with the most swagger and the most confidence. He says, hey, wait. He leans back in his chair, looks at this woman and says, these two are having half off. Like, my boss, ultra confidence, the most swagger you've ever seen, these two are having half off. And that poor woman's like, yes, sir, absolutely, I will make it happen, and like ran back into the kitchen. And as soon as it happened, I freaked out. I was like, bro, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. You were like 16, you just learned to drive, but you just told that woman, these two are having half off. And I'm like, man, I want some confidence like that. And the party was like, "Call her back, tell her we're getting 100 percent off, please." <laughs> but we got half off that night. She listened. But why did she listen? How did that happen? It's because my friend knew who he was. See, my friend knew who his dad was, and he knew the authority that his dad had, and he knew the things that would happen if he was only confident that he was his dad's son. And what God is trying to tell you today is that he desperately wants you to be confident, knowing every day you are his child. Because when you know who your daddy is, then things get done. When you know who your father is and the power he possesses, prayers get answered. And God doesn't want us going to him timid and worrying and doubting. He wants wants us to walk right in the house and say, Dad, I need some things to get done. He says, yes, sir, son. Yes, ma'am, daughter. I'll be right on it. You know who your father is. God desperately wants you to be confident today. And oh, when we go to God in confidence and we pray according to his will, things get done. Now let me have a teaching moment. John says, whatever we pray, it will be done. He does not mean a Lamborghini. (laughs) He does not mean your mansion. (laughs) The Apostle James says, you have not because you ask not. But also, you ask but you don't have because you're asking for the wrong things, for your own vain desires. God makes it clear in his scriptures when you pray according to his will, things get done. But we have confidence in that that kingdom work gets accomplished when we go to God and ask for answered prayers. So church, be confident today. Do you need healing? Go to God in confidence and see what he does. Do you need a miracle? Go to God in confidence and see what he does. Do you need a family member to get saved? Go to God in confidence and see what he does. Church, we need to pray for our nation. Go to God in confidence and see what he does. Church, we need to pray for the church. This church, go to God in confidence and see what he does. When you come boldly as a child of God, prayers get answered. Thank you. Praise God. So what does this mean? Christian who's doubting, listen to me. You may feel like God's abandoned you. You may feel like God sees you doubting, sees you guessing, sees you wondering and simply doesn't care. But that's not true because God's invested in you. God wants you confident because he knows if he can get you confident, he can get you praying. And if he can get you praying, his will gets done. And he's not abandoned you. He's invested in you. In fact, he's working double time to get you confident so that you come back to him. But Christian who is confident, start praying. If you've been relaxed, if you've been weak, if you haven't been having your prayer time, get in your prayer closet this week. Go after God because things happen. We don't do prayer night once a month just because it's fun and we like getting together. We do prayer night once a month because things happen. I don't spend time in my room not doing something else, not playing video games or reading or resting. I spend time in my room at home praying and going after God. Why? Because things get done. Prayer is not a religious exercise. It's not simply therapeutic. Things happen. Go after God in full confidence, knowing you're his child, and watch answered prayers come your way according to God's holy will. But finally, John gets to the point we've all been waiting on. How do I know I'm saved? What is the list? What is the test I can take? How do I stop looking here and start looking to the word? What does the word say a true Christian is and looks like? This is what John says right here, beginning in verse 22. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, what are his commandments? And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. But then he ends with this. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, And he and him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So John has given his church, the churches in Asia Minor, three kind of things right here, three three components to what it means to be a Christian. No, this is not an exhaustive list, this is not the only thing that tells you if you're a Christian or not. Remember, he's writing to fight heresy. But it's a good list for us to gauge whether or not I'm really saved. It's something outside of myself and in the word of God to see, am I really a Christian? He says, one, do you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? Remember, he's saying, do you believe rightly? Because the heretics say, of course we believe in Jesus. But they say that he didn't come in the flesh. He just appeared to come in the flesh. And John's asking, do you believe in Jesus and who he really is? And who we've professed him to be? And who he said that he is. Do you believe in Jesus and believe in him rightly? And that he died and rose again for you. But then he talks to his church. He says, do you love one another? Do you love your neighbor as God commanded? Remember, the heretic said, I don't have to love my neighbor. I'm better than my neighbor. I've got secret, special, saving knowledge they don't. I can treat them like junk. And John's saying, that's not how this thing works. Jesus told us to love our neighbor like he has loved us. Christians love their neighbor. And then finally he says, how do you know? How do you know right and wrong? By the spirit whom he has given us. In fact, he goes on to talk about the spirit of the Antichrist that's already at work in this world, that lies about who God is, is an Antichrist spirit. But the Holy Spirit helps us to gauge what's right and what's wrong. So let's just do something real simple Y'all want to take the test? One, are you doubting your salvation? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe in him and do you believe in him rightly? Do you believe in him as the Bible professes him? As the church has always said, as as Jesus and the apostles taught. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is God, has been God for all of eternity, but that 2,000 years ago he became a man? 100% God and 100% man. Do you believe that he lived a sinless life on this earth? That he died for your sins? That he rose again? That he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he did it all for you? I'm not asking you to do a psychoanalysis. I'm not asking you to give me a percentage of the amount that you trust God. I'm not asking you to go that deep. It's a simple yes or no question. Do you believe in Jesus and that he did all that for you or do you not? It's a simple question. Because if you do, You just might be saved. It's as simple as that. But then he goes on. He says, real Christians love their neighbor. Do you love your neighbor in thought, word, and deed? In a general sense, do you wish the best for your neighbor, that good things would happen to them, that they would prosper and be blessed, and ultimately that they would know Christ? What about word? Do you spend most of your time tearing people down, gossiping about people, talking behind their back, or building them up? Or at the least, restraining your tongue. <laughs> Maybe you're not saying good, but you're not saying bad. Finally, what about deed? How do you treat others? Do you work hard to serve your spouse? Do you work hard to serve your kids? Do you work hard to honor your customers and your coworkers? And here's the part of this list that is the most tricky. Because when we start to look at our own works, it's easy to think my works saved me. No. Here's the reality. You're saved on account of Christ alone. The only reason you can love your neighbor is because God saved you in the first place. If the root is good, then the fruit is good. This is not earning God's salvation. It's a product of it. And listen to you, I'm not here to ask you to measure an amount. I don't want to send your heart into distress. Because the reality is, is that the seasoned saints serving God 40 and 50 years are going to have more fruit than you. They're going to have more of an opportunity to forgive their enemies. More of an opportunity to serve their neighbor. More of an opportunity to learn and grow from Christ. You're probably going to have a lot of fruit. If you're a new Christian, it's okay. You're still trying to get the sin out of you. It's a process. I'm not asking how much fruit. I'm asking, is there fruit? Is it there? If you're a sinner, it's not there. If you're a Christian, it's there no matter how big or how small. Is there fruit that Jesus is in your life, in your actions? And finally, he says, by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of truth that God has given us. And so I just simply want to ask you this question. Have you seen the Spirit's work in your life? Have you seen God move in your life? Have you recognized the Holy Spirit living in your heart, guiding and directing you? Have you found that you agree with Christian truth? 1 John 2.20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know things. When you read your Bible or listen to sermons, I don't mean do you understand at all, but you have those moments where you go, I know that's true. On the flip side, can you recognize things that are false? Can you discern what's false when you hear something kind of wacky or a lie about Christ? 1 John uh, three twenty four through 41, literally what we just read. He tells us that he abides in us by the spirit whom he's given us. And don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they're of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. When you hear something kind of wacky about Christ, even if you can't explain it, does something here go, ah, I just don't know if that's right. Are you led by God's spirit into righteousness? Romans eight fourteen. for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. Do you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at you, leading you to do the right thing? Even if you don't always do it, do you know what's right and what's wrong? Is there something in your heart that cries out that you're a child of God? Romans 8, 15 through 16 says, Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Have you felt that internal peace, that one point in your life that says, I know, I know God is my father and I am his child. Has the spirit convicted you, John 16, 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Has the Spirit guided you in situations? Acts 16, 6-7 six says, Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Have you felt the Holy Spirit's direction and wisdom in tugging away from a business deal, away from a family decision, away to do this and in to do that? Has the Spirit helped you or comforted you John 16, 14, if you love me, keep my commandments and I'll pray to the Father and he will give you another helper or comforter that he may abide with you forever. And finally, have you recognized the Spirit's gifts in your life? 1 Corinthians twelve seven says, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Have you taken the spiritual gifts test and growth track? Has God gifted you to have mercy, to have hospitality, to have faith? Has he used you to prophesy or to speak in tongues, to interpret, whatever it could be? This is not an exhaustive list, but I'm asking you this question. Have you seen the Spirit's work in your life at one time or another? That God, by his word, has given us clear guidelines that says you are a Christian. Do you believe in Jesus, that he did everything he did for you? Have you seen God's fruit in your life? And have you experienced the Spirit's work? Because if you are, you are a child of God. And your heart may be lying. And your heart may be telling tales. And the devil may be pulling you away from God. But God wants you confident and spiritually healthy so that you can get back at it doing kingdom work for Him. So church, would you stand today? I know today's message was particular. I understand that. But most of us in this life will experience this at one time or another. That you may be confident right now, but there are going to be moments where you begin to doubt. And so Christians, I ask for you to to soak this in, to remember this, to mark this in your Bible when this comes up. But for those of you who are doubting, those of you who are wondering, who are guessing, that your heart is lying to you about who you really are, I encourage you to to have peace, to have courage, to have hope. Maybe you haven't worked it all out yet, but know this heart, it's darkened and it's broken and it may be lying to you. Take the test. If you need to take it again, take the test when you get home. Take the test this evening. Ask God to give you comfort, to give you wisdom, to speak to him, not from here, from his word, from his truth. So I just want to give you a simple opportunity to respond today. Would you just close your eyes, just make an altar at your seat. For those of you doubting this morning, ask God to give you peace. Ask God to give you comfort. Ask God to give you hope. Ask God to to help you weigh the truth of his word versus the lies in your heart. Ask God to give you strength. To not live by your feelings, but live by his word. For those of you who are Christians, I want you to pray for your brothers and sisters who may be doubting. And not only that, ask God to, to, to put this word in your heart. That it be a tool in your toolkit when you need it. And so as I begin to pray into the microphone, would you just pray along with me? God, I thank you for your holy word. God, I thank you that you want us to be confident in who we are as Christians. It's those who are saved. I pray for those doubting this morning. Give them peace. Give them comfort. Give them hope, knowing that their heart is a liar, that the devil wants nothing more than to make them doubt their salvation. Help them to weigh their heart against your truth and know that they're saved. And Lord, I pray for those Christians in the room today who are confident. Lord, would you place this word in their heart. Place this truth in their heart. God, give them the wisdom that when this moment maybe comes, that they would pump the brakes, that they would slow down and say, "What? what is this speaking to me? Is this God or is this my sinful heart? Strengthen everybody in this room today. And I know that you're faithful to do it. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.